If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to two places. First, first Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, and then also turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get a Bible right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 27, but before we get to that, we're going to take a look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62 through 65. But we'll read Matthew chapter 17, verse 24 through 27 first, and then we'll... So, if I haven't made that totally confusing, then uh, I'll try again. No, I won't. Starting off in Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, we read... When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. And when they had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Uh, Peter said to him, From strangers. And Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, Go to the sea, catch in the hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. The title of my message this morning is Faith in Action. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to be able to spend time together in your word. Lord, knowing that you, Holy Spirit, you're here it's your desire, your plan to speak to our hearts as we look at your scriptures. Lord, help us to have open ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. Lord, we do pray if there's anybody here that does not have a relationship with you, they don't know for certain that their sin is forgiven, that they're born again, that if they were to die today, that they would go to heaven. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today, help them to see your love for them. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story I heard about some patrons from a local bar who were thought that the bartender was the strongest man around, so they had a running bet of $1,000. Well, the bartender would squeeze a lemon until all the juice ran into the glass and then hand the lemon over to a contender. Anyone who could squeeze just one more drop of juice out of the lemon would win the money. Many people have tried over time, weightlifters, arm wrestlers, but nobody could do it. One day, this short, thin, balding little man came into the bar wearing thick, black-rimmed glasses, a double-knit polyester leisure suit. He, asked to the, he announced to the bartender in a faint, tiny, squeaky voice, I'd like to try the bet. Well, after the laughter died down, the bartender said, okay, grabbed the lemon and squeezed away. He then handed the dry, wrinkled remains of the lemon rind to the little man. The man clenched his fist around the lemon and the crowd's laughter turns to total silence as one drop fell into the glass. Then another and another. Six drops in all were squeezed from that lemon rind. As the crowd cheers, the bartender paid the $1,000 and asked the little man, what do you do for a living? You're not obviously not a lumberjack. You're not a, a weightlifter. A smile ran across the little man's lips as he replied in a quiet but satisfied voice, I work for the IRS. Just squeeze a little bit more. 
Here Matthew lays out for us in the, uh, the last two topics in this chapter, really faith and finances. Chapter 17 has showed us some really important lessons on faith. We have seen faith stirred at the Mount of Transfiguration. We've seen faith failed by the disciples in the healing of the demon-possessed boy. Then Jesus teaching how faith is made stronger through prayer and fasting. But now in closing out the chapter, we get to the bottom line. And people in business, they like to say, well, what's the bottom line? Well, here in Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27, the bottom line is faith and finances. Now, before we get into the study, let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're here for the first time, please, you know, please don't think that all we do is talk about money. Oh, church, have you come to church and all they do is talk about money? Let me tell you right off the bat, that's not what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Because we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. When we get to a subject that deals with finances, we're going to deal with finances. We get to a subject that deals with faith, we're going to deal with faith. Whatever the Lord brings to us in His Word as we make our way through His book, we'll, we'll seek to apply that to our lives. But finances, the subject of money, is, is uh, you know, the people are a little squeamish about it. They're uncomfortable talking about it, especially when it comes to parting of their hard-earned money. Yet money is such an important topic in the Bible that it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus told. In addition to that, one out of the seven verses in the New Testament address it. To give you an idea of how that compares to other topics, other subjects, Scripture offers about 500 verses in prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, yet there are more than 2,000 verses on money. Now, many people think, well, you know, think of what's our money or our finances and our resources as something that belong to us. And we would say, look, I will spend my money the way I want to spend it because I earned it. But even that's not true according to God's word, because the Bible reminds us that the, the ability to even produce wealth is of the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. So everything we have comes from God. Now, the Lord can and may bless you with riches, and maybe He won't. The Bible doesn't teach that everyone's going to be wealthy, but it does teach that everyone, as a follower of Jesus Christ, will be cared for. Their needs would be met. And so we need to cover the subject on faith and finances. The finances that we're reading about are that of the temple tax. It's time to pay the temple tax. It's time to help out with the ongoing needs of the, of the ministry that is happening there in Jerusalem, there at the temple. The faith that we're talking about is faith is seen in, in one of Jesus' followers who still, by the way, as we will see, loves to fish. Now, this temple tax that was being collected more than likely door-to-door throughout all of Israel was something that was established way back in the Old Testament. Uh, before, again, before we get to Matthew 17, now turn with me. Look now at 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, we can go back even further because the temple tax first shows up in Exodus chapter 30. Because Moses says there that there needs to be a tax, there needs to be a tear for thanksgiving that the people are willing to offer for the ongoing ministry of the temple. The problem, though, in Exodus chapter 30 was there wasn't a temple yet. They just had a tabernacle. It was a tent set up for the people to go into worship into the presence of the Lord. But even then, they needed an ongoing support for the operation of the ministry, so the temple tax was established. But here now, in 1 Kings chapter 8, we have a newly completed temple. It's the house of the Lord that David wanted to build, but couldn't. The Lord told him his hands were dirty and, and bloodied from war, but that his son Solomon would get to build the temple. Well, now it's built, 
And the people are now coming to this newly built temple to make their offerings and sacrifices to the Lord for all the goodness He has poured out upon them as a people. And we see that they're faithful with their finances. In fact, look at with me how faithful they are. First Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 62. I know there's a lot we're skipping over. You want to go back over and read later on. But 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 62 says this. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. So they made their offerings. They gave them to themselves for all that God has given to them. Verse 63. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls. Now that's a lot of bulls. 22,000 to be exact. Not only that, what else is there? There's 120,000 sheep. Now that's a lot of sheep too. I mean, a thousand sheep is a lot, but 120,000 sheep, a whole lot of sheep there. We read, so the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. So this is their offering, their praise, their thanksgiving for their wonderful house that God has now blessed them with, where they can draw near to God and worship Him. Not only that, verse 64, on the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. So this would be like us outgrowing the sanctuary and having to move and put chairs outside in, in the grass here. There just wasn't enough room for all the people while this was going on. So Solomon is saying that this is the first night of the de- dedication. The place is too small, so we have to dedicate the courtyard, consecrate the courtyard. Why? Well, the rest of verse 64. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. There just wasn't enough room. Everything that was brought in was just just in abundance. I mean, everything that God was doing, pouring into the life of the people, I love this, it, it was, it, what they had, it was too small. So he consecrates the outdoors, as well as the sacrifices and the offerings that were being brought in by the people, brought to the Lord. Verse 65, at that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. So not only did they not have enough room, they didn't have enough time to offer all these sacrifices up. And so they wanted an extra seven days. I mean, these people were so generous. Now we look back at this and say, wow, That was an amazing act of faith with those folks back then. And yes, they were living in exciting times, but no more exciting than the days and the times in which we're living in today. See, it all comes back down to faith and finances. So what kind of faith does it take to accomplish these same great things for God? I think it's important for us to ask that question. It's important for us as a growing church wondering what step is going to, what's the next step is going to be. Well, for us, many of you know that the Lord has given us two old brick buildings there on, on uh, 500 North National Avenue, just south of Chestnut Expressway, to be our church home, our new church home. We're at the stage of getting the, the plans, the, the completed architectural plans. We're, they're, they're with the city right now, and they're getting ready to, to approve them or disapprove them as we work with that. And, and then as soon as that's done, we're looking for a contractor. As soon as that's done, we're, we're looking for, for the financing to, to build that. And, and so we need to be praying as a church for wisdom each step of the way that we, we go along with this. But we have taken steps of faith, believing that this is what the Lord has for us, and believing where God guides, God is going to provide. 
Because it does come down to faith and finances. And these folks in First Kings, they were like, wow, Lord, we want to participate in this. We want to be a part of what you're doing. And they exercised their faith by bringing in their sacrifices. They stepped out and played an important part in seeing the work go forward and seeing it accomplished and completed. That's what faith is. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. New Living Translation says, What is faith? It's the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It's the evidence of things we cannot yet see. See, it's not what you have, but it's what you're hoping to have. That's faith. They were hoping to have a place to worship God for years, and they hadn't had it yet, but now it, now they do. And as a result of that, and them having it, they're not like, wow, Lord, I mean, this is amazing. What could we give back to you for blessing us so much? In the same way, God has given to us so much as believers in fact, his own flesh and blood in his son, Jesus Christ. So, so we owe him our very lives. How can we hold back anything from the Lord? Our lives belong to him. We need to completely surrender and trust in him, trusting in God, having confidence in knowing that as we put him first, he's going to bless our lives for it. The bottom line is now he's in control and he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can hope for, ask, imagine, or think about in this room today. That's his promise. But let me say this, you'll never know how much faith you have until that faith is tested. Let me say that again. You don't really know how much faith is really in you until you have that faith tested. Let me put it another way. You really never know how much patience you have until you try to go to Ozark at 5 o'clock in the evening right there by the 65 and the 60 where they both meet right there. You never know how much patience you have until your patience is tested. The story I read about a teacher who was helping one of her kindergarten students put on his boots. And he asked for help and she could see why. With her pulling and him pushing, the boots still didn't want to go on. When the second boot was finally on, she had worked up a sweat. She almost whimpered when the little boy said, Teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked and sure enough, they were. Wasn't any easier pulling the boots off than it was putting them on. She managed to keep her cool as together they worked to get the boots back on, this time on the right feet. Well, then he announced, these aren't my boots. (laughs) So she bit her tongue rather than get right into his face and scream, why didn't you say so like she wanted to? Once again, she struggled to help him pull the ill-fitting boots off. He then said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. (laughs) She didn't know if she should laugh or cry. She mustered up the grace and courage she had left to wrestle the boots back on his feet again. She said, now where are your mittens? He said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. (laughs) You never really know how much patience you have until your patience is tested. You know, I think you never really know how selfish you were until you start having kids. And then you realize, oh, man, what did I do with my time before these kids? Because everything, I mean, you know, you suddenly become unselfish because you're taking care of these little munchkins. Then you have grandkids, and it's like, oh, that's the best. But, but, you know, once you have kids, you begin to see clearly what matters. Your faith is stretched. And that's what's happening with the people of God here. Because here in 1 Kings, as well as in Matthew chapter 17, these two topics intersect one another, faith and finances. Now let's look at Matthew 17, starting in verse 24. Here in Matthew 17, it's a temple tax man. 
knocking at the door. Remember the Beatles, they had a song, The Tax Man. Let me tell you how it will be. There's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Should 5% appear too small, be thankful I don't take it all. Hey, you know, that song was very prophetic back then. But anyway, here, Matthew 17, the temple tax man is knocking. We read in verse 24, when they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and says, said, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, they're not taking a tax for the Roman Empire. This wasn't the Roman tax. This was a temple tax. And you can picture the scene. The knock is heard on the door, and maybe Peter is saying, oh, it's a tax man. It's the IRS agent. Everybody under the couch, pretend you're not home. Taxman's going, I know you're in there. You saw me going door to door. You know, your chariot's in the driveway. Open the door. But this tax man simply wants to know one thing. Are you in or are you not? Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, Peter, the good Jewish boy that he was, says in verse 25, of course he does. You bet, yeah, yeah, we pay a temple tax. Now, for Peter, it was literally the law for him to be in or to be a part again of what Exodus chapter 30 called that Thanksgiving offering. It was the offset, it was to offset the expenses in the temple. Everybody over the age of 20 years of age was to give this temple tax. They were to be a part of this. But Jesus, very interestingly, responds to what is being asked. He even anticipated that they would ask him for it. So look what, what he says next in verse 25. When he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? See, Jesus here is turning to Peter to teach him a lesson about faith and finances. He says, Hey, Pete, when a king asks for taxes, do they ask for it from their own sons and daughters? From their own flesh and blood? Or from strangers? Well, Peter gets it. He says in verse 26, Peter said to him, from strangers. Then Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Folks, in the same way, this applies to us as followers of Jesus. For the Bible says that, that this is the status, this is the rank and the privilege that we've all been given as king's kids. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. So you saying, Pastor, I don't have to pay my taxes? No, not at all. You get in trouble if you don't do that. Because we'll read in Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, 21, Jesus said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Romans 13, 1 tells us that every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. You need to pay your, your, your taxes. But when it comes to gifts, when it comes to tithes given to the church, you are not obligated. It's not the law to give to the church. There's no temple tax or church tax. There's no cover charge when you come into the church and into the door. Why? Because if you're a believer, you're a part of the family. And that's what faith does. Faith makes you a part of the family. In fact, if you're taking notes, I want to give you four factors of faith. And the first one is, is, is simple. Faith makes you family. It does. I mean, it takes you from that position of being a stranger or an alien or a slave, as Galatians 3 would say, and now calls you a son or a daughter of the king. Faith has made you family. Now, as, as a family member, I've got great news for you. You've just saved a whole lot of money on your insurance by switching to Geico. I mean, it, it's amazing. No, but I've I got great news for you, especially when you talk about the message of giving and, and, and talking about money. Here it is. You're not obligated. You're a member of the family. The, the sons are free. But notice something. They gave anyway. They gave anyway, not out of obligation. 
They counted it as a privilege. They gave out of the wonderful opportunity of being members of the family. Listen, when, when the offering bag goes by and we give to the Lord, there's either one of two conditions in our hearts. Either it's, I hate this obligation. Why do we have to do this? Oh, Lord, I, I love this privilege. Lord, this is a wonderful privilege to worship you and, and give you in this way. When that happens in your heart, you begin to understand truly what giving is. Now, if you're not a part of the family, if you're not born again, if you're not saved, then, then you should not give at all. I mean, the offering bags come by. We don't want you to give. Because you're here, here's a guest and we want you to, to become a part of the family. But here's what giving is. Giving is simply this. You are participating in the family business. It's an act of worshiping and honoring our king with every aspect of our life, seeking to give back to him because of all the things he has done for us. And because you're a part of the family of God, God now gives you the privilege to invest in the family business. And what business would you rather invest in than in the family business? I mean, he calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. You're no longer obligated to the things of the law, but now it's a privilege to be called a, a member of the family of God. I would never want anyone to feel uh, forced to or coerced into giving. We should give because we're family. I get to help participate in the family business. You see, Jesus takes what used to be an obligation, a law, and shows, hey, it's a privilege that we can be a part of. Now, they still gave to the temple, not because they were obligated to, but, but again, because of a part of the family business. Now, you'd say, well, why would they do that? Well, that brings us to point number two, and that is faith makes you free. Makes you free. It sets you free from the law. The only thing that, the, that sets you free from the Old Testament law is your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith has made you free, so now you should give to the family because you're free to give to the family. But you shouldn't take a hold of that freedom that is now yours in Christ because he's paid the price. He set you free. And take that freedom and use it for the opportunity for the flesh. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm going to keep this. I, you know, I, I'm not going to give. Paul would say in Galatians 3.3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh? See, that would be bad. That would be bad for you to say, Well, that freedom you're telling me about, Tom, you're saying, I don't have to give. I'm not obligated to give. So, you know what? I'm not going to give. I said, that's fine. No one's forcing you to, but it's really too bad for you because you're missing out on the blessing it is to minister to the family of God. God has given us this freedom in Christ to enjoy the liberty that he's given us by, by, by paying the price for our sin. And, and so he's given us this freedom to, to serve. Over in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about this in Galatians 5, verse 13 through 15, when he says, Since we're family, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And then Paul goes on to show the difference between the two camps. Uh, one camp being filled with the Spirit, doing the things of the Spirit, giving, being generous. Another camp is, is, is the flesh, holding on to tightly, biting, devouring one another, I think of the old Daffy Duck commercial when he sees his gold over there and he starts pounding on Bugs Bunny. He's going, mine, 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 mine. He want, wants his gold. That's the flesh. That's the flesh that comes up. I love how Paul wraps this up in, in, in Galatians 5, verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul is saying, guard your heart when it comes to your liberty. Choose love over liberty. I have the liberty not to be selfish. I have the liberty not to envy. I have the liberty not to covet. Now Paul gives a positive aspect of, of this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, when he says this, 
Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. The trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Now you can read a verse like that and say, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not rich. But I'm glad you're preaching about that, Tom, because you preach that to some person that has money, they can give me because it says they need to give, give me some money. That's not what it's saying. Actually, the principle of this verse is, I just read would apply to every Christian. Paul says, don't be arrogant or put your ultimate hope in wealth. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Listen, you can't take it with you. Like the story of the very wealthy man, Malcolm Forbes, who founded Forbes magazine, he made this statement shortly before his death in 1990. He knew his death was coming. He said, the thing that I dread most about death is to know that I will not be as comfortable in the next life as I am in this one. And that's the understatement of the century. I don't know where Mr. Forbes was with with Jesus Christ. If he did not have a relationship with God, clearly uh, that is a very exact statement for him. So don't put your hope in wealth. Number two from this passage in 1 Timothy, he says, use your money for good. He says says in verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. Again, that just reminds us we're part of the family. As a part of the family of God, we were so blessed with our fathers given to us that we have to be good stewards over that. We're free to do good with what God has given to us. In other words, God gives to us, we give out, then God blesses us for giving out what he's given to us. It's a win-win situation. Paul in Philippians 4, verse 16 through 18 says this, For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from me Paphroditus, the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Paul is saying, listen, when you give to me, you give to the ministry that I'm involved in, it's going to go back to your account. God's going to credit that for you. Again, God gives to us, we give it out, then God blesses us for giving out what he's given to us. It's incredible to think about. Because whatever you, you invest in for the work of the kingdom, every, every dollar you give to the ministry, every cent you give for the extension of the preaching of the gospel, for the support of the church, it will result in fruit in your account. You will have treasures waiting for you in heaven. You know, it said you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And the third thing that Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, is enjoy them. He says, yes, you to use your money for good. Yes, you're not to trust in uncertainty of riches, but enjoy them. He says, their, their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You can enjoy what God has given you. It's not a sin. God has blessed you with it. You can acknowledge it. Lord, you gave this to me and I'm thankful for it. You can enjoy it as long as your priorities are in order. What are those priorities? Number one, remember faith makes you family. Number two, remember faith makes you free. Free to give as God called you to. Free to enjoy all that God has given to you. Now back to Matthew chapter 17. We see the third thing that faith does. Again, remember we left off with the, with the text then knocking at the door and old Peter is to open the door. It's his house. He may have been trying to hide, keeping everybody under the couch, and this guy knows that they're all in there, so I might be making some of that up. But, but anyway, <laughs> it's kind of an interesting story because Matthew is the only one, it's the only gospel that, that, that records this. Now think about that. What did Matthew do for a living before he started following Jesus? 
He was a tax collector, yeah. So he knows. He's used to being the guy knocking on the door. He's heard all the excuses. It's in the mail. You know, we, we sent it earlier. We gave it the office. Oh, I didn't know it was due. I filed an extension. He heard every lame excuse as to why we don't need to pay this tax and how we can get out of it. And now all of a sudden, Matthew's writing this down as fast as he can. Do you know why? Because this is the first legitimate excuse he's ever heard in his life as to why the temple tax doesn't need to be paid. You don't have to pay it if you're family. Again, Jesus Christ has made us family. We've been set free from the legalism of the law because Jesus Christ has set us free because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now Matthew's writing this all down and saying, I think this is the first, first house, the first time this is really legitimate. They don't have to pay for it. Then Jesus says this, look at verse 27. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. I think this is hilarious. I think this is great that what Jesus puts into motion. It's fun. But see, that's what faith is. Faith makes you family. Faith makes you free. But faith is what makes your life fun. Our walks with the Lord should be fun. Our walks with the Lord should be, you, we, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's not, oh, we've got to do this, let's get done with this church thing so we can get out of here and have some real fun. No, this should be our fun time. The time that we're, you know, we're pouring yourself into and, 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 and you're looking forward to and you're, and, and you're saying, man, it doesn't get any better than this. Because faith is what makes our life fun. It's our relationship with Jesus Christ and coming in and expecting to find opportunities to bless and honor our Lord as the Lord leads, as the Lord directs. Hey, I want you to go do this. Oh yeah, that sounds like fun. You know, if I bought my wife some flowers and I have them in my car, I don't go, oh bummer. I got to get home and give these flowers to my wife. What a drag. What a hassle. No. You know what? I I can't wait to bless her. I can't wait to give her those flowers to bless her and let her know just how much I love her. I'm excited. It's fun. I can't wait. I got them behind my back. Not because I have to give her flowers, but because I want to. The Christian life is not to be seen as some sort of obligation or some requirement. Not a list of do's and don'ts. And I think our kids, you know, they, they, they probably, some of our kids maybe view it that way. Oh, we've got to go to church. What a bummer. You just show them that, you know, the difference in the way that you live your life, how fun it is to follow Christ. After church, we should be having so much fun as we are in the process of changing the spiritual environment in our community. Looking to see what, what God's opening up for us. That ought to be a blast. And people ought to be so jealous of the fun you and I are having that they want to get on board too. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, Instead, you must worship Christ as, as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Let me ask you this. When was the last time that someone asked you about your hope as a believer? Let me tell you, they would if they saw the hope that is within you. If they saw the joy that was in you following Christ. Do you know when it comes to our faith and finances and our faith in action, God wants even that to be fun. And in fact, hilarious, he says. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what the word for cheerful means? Hilarious. Hilarious. Oh, this is great. I'm just having a great time. Lord, I love it. It's a hilarious giver. When was the last time that you, you, you were hilarious about giving your time in ministry? I mean, if we're going to go to church, let's do church right. 
Let's have the best time worshiping the Lord, to be excited and focused and listening with great anticipation as the Word of God is being taught. Let's have the best time and the most fun in our children's ministry that we can, and, and I believe we do. The best vacation Bible school we can. Let's make it fun for the kids to learn and to grow. So much of the kids can't wait to come back here, and, and they're excited to come here. You know, my heart, and you guys know this, I want to be the best fed sheep, the best loved flock around. And I want to have a whole lot of fun doing it. And I want to take those steps of faith so much so that we're excited to bring people to church because of what God is doing here at Calvary. And as we bring them in and we watch them get saved, we have a great time being a part of that. And the people will say, man, have you been to Calvary Chapel? Man, man, people are getting saved there all the time. I can't wait to bring someone here that doesn't know Christ. This is so fun. And that's my point. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, Pete, I need you to go mow some lawns, earn some money so you can earn it. Then we'll pay the tax man and he can be on his way. No, Jesus says, Pete, what do you love doing more than anything else in the world? Fishing. Hey, Pete, go fishing. Christian, we have to be convinced of this as well. God wants us to have fun in ministry. Faith is what makes your life fun. Ministry can be fun. You know, when we get together at men's studies, there's a lot of good, good discussion that takes place. But we have a whole lot of fun. This last Tuesday, if you were there, one of the guys asked what the word supplication meant. And another guy, without missing a beat, says, it's when you can't breathe. Suffocation, supplication. I laughed for five minutes. It was hysterical. Probably because it's one of my type of jokes. But, but listen, our faith is not to be this downer in our lives. Oh no, I got to go to Man City again. What a bummer. Another Sunday at church. No, faith is what makes your life fun. I'm going to get the opportunity to hear from God, to be used by God, to bring someone to church to do the same. That's exciting. That's fun. And listen, if you're not having fun in your faith, then shake it up a bit. Do something different. Get involved in the children's ministry. That'll keep you on your toes. You know, if you're not having fun in your faith, not just at church, on your job. If you don't like what you do, then do something else. You know, find something that you love to do and and do that you love and, and do it for honor and the glory of God. If not, then in your bad job, do extra stuff to make it a good job. Invite a co-worker with you to come to work early to get in the Word together with them. Or on your lunch break, say, hey man, listen to a podcast from, from our church. Then all of a sudden, your work becomes your mission field. And you can't wait to go to work to see what opportunities God is going to open up for you. You see, you should sense the power and the presence of the Lord as your work becomes a work of worship and faith before Him. See, faith is not believing in some abstract system. Faith isn't believing in some teaching. Real faith is you believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in a God who's madly in love with you, who has in store for you the very best, who doesn't want to hold anything back from you and wants to use you to meet the needs of others. So the Lord looks to Peter and says, Hey, Pete, go get your fishing gear. Pete says, My gear? Lord, I can't go back to that. That's my old life. That's what I used to do. Now I'm a mature, sophisticated follower. Pete, go get your gear. Okay, just go get your gear. Go get your stuff and go enjoy doing more than anything else what you enjoy doing and have fun and, and, and you just watch me provide for you every day. Go get your gear. And I picture Peter, you know, running to his garage, getting up in the attic, pulls out that, all that fishing gear and he goes into the garden and he gets one of those big long worms. You know, he's off to the lake. He can't believe God is giving him this much fun to do. So he probably doesn't have a garage in an attic, but, but in your mind, just bear with me on this. 
You fishermen that are here, you're going, preach it, brother, preach it. Come real Pentecostal all of a sudden. But Peter cast out that, 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 that line. You know, oh man, I still got it. Yeah, I still got it. Settles back and then, bam. You know, and he's got it, man. There's no better sound in the world. Fishing? Close, okay. No better sound in the world than knowing that you're being used by the Lord and accomplishing that which he has set forth to accomplish. To be used by God is fun. It's exciting. That's how much fun our faith brings to our lives. Listen, maybe before you came to Christ, you were this phenomenal guitar player, but you, you haven't touched your guitar since before you got saved. Oh, you know, I used to play uh, with just horrible music and, and, and bad lyrics. And, and, and Listen, maybe the Lord is, is leading you to use that talent to bring Him glory and have fun in the process. You know, recently, Pastor Greg Laurie has been doing interviews with Alice Cooper. Alex Cooper, I mean, Alex Cooper, the guy, he recommitted his life to the Lord. I mean, he was in for years in, in the worldly music industry. And now he's serving the Lord, changing lyrics in some of his songs, really living for Christ and having fun doing so. You see, we have got to put this faith into action. We have to start living this way. James tells us faith without works is dead. I mean, it would have been very easy for Peter to say, but Lord, you know, I don't do that anymore. I don't fish anymore. I now fish for men. So I'm just going to sit on the couch and, and believe you for that coin. No, Pete, get up. <laughs> Go get that coin. Exercise your faith. You've got to get off the couch and begin living your faith out. Listen, make your work, whatever your work is, make it something you love as an act of faith in God and know that God's going to take care of you as you do. He'll take care of all the rest. He certainly takes care of this. I mean, think of all the miracles that had to line up perfectly in order for this story to take place. Someone had to drop the money, the denarii, into the lake. How did that happen? I mean, maybe a guy was out fishing, he throws his net and he goes over pulling the fish in it, and out goes the money. There it goes. At the same time, as that money's making its way down to the bottom of the lake, not only uh, that, but, but a, a big fish saw it, saw and thought that it was food, maybe a shiny lure, and he eats it. Not only that, that same fish would get hungry again, who knows how long after he's eaten that coin, but it gets hungry again. And on exactly the same day, exactly the same time that Jesus says to Peter, go get your gear, go fishing and, and do what you love to do. With that very first cast, man, you nail it. I mean, right there, that, that one fish, you wait the coin and it happens to be hungry. He's hungry again and he's going to swallow it all hook, line and sinker. Don't tell me that God isn't a God of details in our lives. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. It's amazing. And you know what? When I see how God has provided for us in this place over the last 20 years, through just a few families starting out that just wanted to be found faithful as a part of the family of God, when I see how God takes care of my own family and being able to take care of this church family, I say, wow, God, you are amazing. It's encouraging. I'm encouraged to see how God has taken this church in the the last 20 years to where it is now. I am blessed. We are blessed. But then I also know what he's saying right now. Calvary Springfield, are you ready for the next step? Are you ready for what I want to do with you in this new building? Are you ready to go to the next level? Will you trust me and step out in faith as my family members? Because he won't do it without us. Could he? You bet. He could have said, we need a coin, poof a coin. But that's not how he works. He works through us. He won't go to the next level and reach in this community unless we're all in. But, but if we're going to be all in, then, then we, you know, we, we, we got to be all in for the right reasons. Lord, we have to be in because we say, Lord, this is, this is it. There's nothing better than serving you. And, and that's why we give. And that's what Peter does here. 
He gives of, it, of his talent. Once a fisherman, always a fisherman. He gives of his time and he gives of his treasures. Peter grabs that fish, pulls out the coin, you know, runs back up the shore, back to the house. Never once you get the impression that, that Peter said, this is my coin. I cut it. It's mine. And he takes his fish, pull, goes out again, tries to get another coin. Doesn't do any of that. Doesn't say it's his. He recognizes where that coin came from. He runs back into the house and says, oh guys, you will not believe this. It happened just the way Jesus said it would. I caught it. Here it is. We are all paid up. Now you may be looking at your Bibles and going, where did that say that in Matthew 17? What version are you reading from? You're right. It's not there. And what's interesting is that it's the only miracle in the New Testament where the results of the miracle are not recorded. All we read is Jesus saying in verse 27, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So how do we know what happened? I mean, Matthew was the only gospel writer to took time to write down the story. Nobody else even mentions it. How do you know it really went down even the way the Lord said it would go down? That brings us to our last point. Listen, faith not only makes you family. Faith not only makes you free. Faith not only makes your life fun. But number four, faith makes you faithful. Faith makes you faithful. So how do we know it went down exactly the way Jesus said it would? Because Jesus said it would. Plain and simple. Faith. Because the Bible tells us God is faithful. And because of your faith in Him, it makes you faithful. It's like this. You can't be faithful without faith, and you can't have faith without God's Word. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So do you love the Bible? Are you filling your heart and mind with God's Word? Are you bolstering your faith with the growing knowledge of Jesus Christ as He reveals Himself to you through the pages of Scripture? Then your faith is going to grow. C.H. Spurgeon puts it this way, and we'll close with this. He says, Faith is believing that Christ is what He said to be, and that He will do what He has promised to do, and then to expect this of Him. Why? Well, because faith has made me family, Faith has made me free. Faith has made my life fun. Faith has made me faithful. Finally, if you're here this morning and you're not a part of the family of God, as soon as service is over, I ask you to come forward, come talk to me. If this is your your desire, you want to be a part of the family of God, you want your sin forgiven, you want to be born again, you want to see God move in your life in amazing ways, come talk to me as soon as service is over or one of the elders that will be up front here as soon as service is over. We'll have to pray with you and give you a Bible Let's know what it means to follow the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we can spend in your word. And again, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to our hearts on the subject of faith and on the subject of finances. And Lord, we pray as a church that we would put these things into practice that you've laid upon our hearts. Lord, thank you that our faith in you has made us a family, a family of believers here. Lord, our faith in you has, has made us free to serve one another, to bless one another. Our faith has made our lives fun, Lord. Lord, being used by you is exciting, and we are blessed by that. And Lord, as you, as you use us, Lord, our faith makes us even more faithful. Lord, we thank you for your great love. And grace. And again, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to give their life to you, Lord, we pray that you touch our hearts right now, Lord, and they would make the decision to, to come to you today. We, we love you, Lord. We praise you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.